I think that last mom in the video said it about as well as you can say it. She said, this is my calling. This is my job. I'll tell you what, being a mom is a calling if there ever was one. And the truth is, every one of us has been created for something specific, something wonderful, uh, something with great meaning and purpose. And God, knowing exactly what that purpose is for each of us, because, of course, he's the one responsible for creating us, he's placed in each person all the tools and talents and special abilities needed to accomplish that specific purpose that we were each created for. So, so you were made by God for a distinct and meaningful reason that fulfills a part of his plan, not only for your life personally, but a part of his plan for the rest of the world, which means that each one of us has a job to do, a job that we were created and equipped for. So God uniquely designed each one of us so as to be able to accomplish that job and therefore fulfill our purpose, both in his kingdom globally as well as in our personal lives. And we see evidence of that right from the beginning of creation when God forms mankind and, and gives them a very specific job and a purpose, which included working, of course, and keeping the Garden of Eden, according to Genesis 2.15. And there were some other instructions that went along with that. And God then placed in and around them everything that they needed to accomplish that purpose, that assignment. And if those first humans had stuck with the plan and purpose and job that they were created for, not only would their lives have been very different, but the world itself, of course, would have been a much healthier, uh, better, stronger place to live. But of course, it didn't work out that way, did it? Because man and woman decided that they would use the skills and resources and talents and abilities that God gave them for a different purpose. A purpose other than that which they were created for. And not only did they suffer for it in their lives, but the entire world was profoundly affected by their decision to do something other than that which they were specifically and uniquely created to do. And so on through the ages, that same cycle repeats itself in the lives of men and women all over the world day after day after day. We see people doing something other than that which they were created to do. And I meet them as a pastor. I talk with them. And sometimes I even watch them drag themselves into church on Sundays, worn out and stressed out and bent out of shape, wishing that their lives were somehow different. And a lot of them don't understand exactly why they're unhappy. And even if they did, many of them wouldn't know how to change it. And the only reason that I'm able to even recognize that dilemma if someone else is in someone else's life, and I'll, I can spot it a mile away, is because I was one of them. One of the millions of people who work and work and work and work to try and make a better life for myself, to try and be a good provider, to try and live the American dream and still be a good Christian, faithful to my friends and my church and my responsibilities, faithful to every part of my life except the specific vocation that God created me for. I was good at using my talents and skills and gifts to maintain all of these roles that I'd created for myself while neglecting the one true role that God designed and built me to fill. And as a result, not only did I suffer for it personally, but it affected the world around me, my wife and my kids, uh, my friends, my church, people that I should have been ministering to but instead didn't have time for because I was too busy doing things that God never created or equipped me to do. This is, in my opinion, 
common today, even in our church culture. Because in the context of uh, vocation, at least, our work, we have by and large sold our vocational birthright, if you will, as individual children of God who were created for a specific purpose. And instead, we've traded that for the pursuit of satisfying our hunger for the pleasures of this world. And many have traded uh, doing what they were created to do for the pursuit of an ideal that has no scriptural basis whatsoever, the, the so-called American dream. Which, for some I understand, particularly early on in our country's history, may have been an honest search for freedom and opportunity. I get that. But presently, I think, has become for most a hollow pursuit of material wealth and affluence that is believed to you know, provide some great measure of fulfillment somehow. And yet in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Okay, so according to Jesus, whatever material gain we acquire in this life holds absolutely no eternal value in the next. Yet it is precisely those temporary pleasures of selfish gain that so many people strive for every day. And so we work and we work and we work and we work to attain something that can never truly make us happy or fulfill us in any meaningful way while our true gifts and talents go either unused or used to the wrong ends. And we end up with a lot of people who are constantly depleted by their work when they could instead be energized by it and find purpose and fulfillment in their labor like they never have before. And the, the key, of course, is found not only in what we're doing, but also in why we're doing it and who we're doing it for, as we'll see. So as we continue our sermon series this morning, Running on Empty, our message for today is entitled Work. And it is very fitting, a subject, I think, for Mother's Day, uh, because I can think of no better example when it comes to work and calling and vocation than a mom. Uh, simply put, the hardest working people that I know are mothers. We'll talk about that a bit more later as we explore together this subject of work today. Our text for this morning is Psalm 104, uh, which is first and foremost a hymn of praise. It's a worship song. In fact, it opens and closes with the phrase, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And interestingly, this psalm and the one preceding it are the only places in all of Scripture where that phrase is written. So in that sense, uh, these two psalms, 103 and 104, are paired together as these two great worship songs. But Psalm 104 is also a poetic retelling of the creation story. In fact, uh, even as it begins and ends with praising God with that phrase, Bless the Lord, O my soul, nearly all the verses in between those bookends are statements of gratitude and praise that describe the work of God and our work as well. Okay, so if we pay attention as we read it, I think we'll find some interesting insights about vocation, both, both our work and God's work, that I believe if we take to heart can help us to find great purpose and fulfillment in our labor where maybe there has otherwise been a lot of uh, disillusionment. Okay, so let's turn there together, Psalm 104. And as we go through it, we'll reference Genesis 2 as somewhat of a parallel to this text. It's not an exact parallel, but it is somewhat of a parallel. And we'll look at some of the other passages around it as well, okay? Let's read the first 13 verses, Psalm 104, starting at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you're very great. 
You're clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. And so this parallels day one of the creation story, the light. Verse 3, he lays beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. This goes along with day two. The expanse divides the waters. Verse 4, he makes his messengers winds, his ministers flaming fire. Okay, this is talking about the angels. The word messengers here is the Hebrew word malakim, and it literally means angels. So when he says uh, his messengers winds, his ministers of flaming fire, he's talking about the angels. Verse 5, he set the earth on its foundation foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Okay, and that includes part of day three of the creation story, making uh, the land and the water distinct. And so these first 13 verses together are not only a really beautiful description, which of course they are, of God's work in creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them, but they also paint a picture of everything that he made perfectly fulfilling its purpose as each element of creation obeys his commands according to the purpose for which it was created. This is creation functioning exactly as it was designed to. Right? The, the land rises and falls where it should. The waters flow where they're supposed to. They provide for the animals as they're intended to. And we see the angels and the birds and the land animals all doing what God created or called them to do. And I think it's worth noting here that we talk about, as Christians a lot, we talk about calling as followers of Jesus Christ, what we're called uh, by God to do, right? And sometimes we realize that calling later in life. In fact, I personally believe that calling is often a progressive realization throughout our lives. I think it can grow and expand and, and take on new dimensions as we mature in Christ and continue to walk with Him throughout our lives. But I want to be clear about something here. Even though we don't always know what our specific calling is or even uh, the full extent of it at any given point in our lives. It isn't because God is still working all of that out as we go along. And then he kind of lets us know once he determines what job he thinks we're best suited for based on our performance so far on earth. Okay, that's not how it works. Our calling is what we were created for. And that was determined long before he ever even created us. Right? And so as he was making you, he was implanting your calling into your spiritual DNA. I've quoted these two verses in Psalm 139 here before. Uh, the entire psalm is really one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. But these two verses particularly make a tremendously powerful statement concerning the way in which God not only made us, but planned out His purposes for each of us before we were even born. And the verses preceding it really get top billing. They're the ones everybody likes to quote. But these, these two verses to me are the best. It says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. 
every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 139, 15 and 16. Think about that. That is an intensely profound statement about your calling and purpose. The calling and purpose that you were created for. So specific and important is that calling in your life that God planned out every single day of it for your life before you ever existed. Chew on that a while. The next time you're struggling with feelings of hopelessness or uselessness or fear. God designed, handcrafted, and equipped you for a specific purpose to be fulfilled every single day of your life. And he set into place every single one of those days, according to what we just read, of your life before you ever existed. Don't ever think that you don't have a purpose or a calling. I realize that you may not fully understand what that is yet, but he does. Right? And before you were ever born, he planned it all out. And so, as we walk in obedience to his word and his voice in our lives, he reveals that purpose and calling to us as he wills in his timing. But, but we're involved. That's where free will comes in. We have a part in this, right? But can you see now how calling and creation are a part of the same process? One doesn't come down the road later on somewhere. They're a part of the same process. It happens at the same time. In fact, it's even embedded into these verses in our main text today. Again, verses 5 through 7. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. Now listen, at your rebuke, they fled. In other words, at his calling, the waters found their place and their purpose. At the sound of your thunder... It says they took to flight. That phrase at the sound in the Hebrew is the word kol, which literally means voice. It was by God's calling, by his voice, that creation realized its place and its purpose. And the same applies to you and me. If you were created, then you have a calling, which was established before you were ever born. And he speaks that calling into your life just as he spoke you into existence. After that, we then bear responsibility in what we do or don't do with that calling. That's our part in it. We have to express that calling in our lives. And, and, and how is that accomplished then? How is our calling realized? How is it fulfilled, brought to fruition in our lives? Our calling is fulfilled through our work. Okay? Our calling is fulfilled through our work. That's point one of our outline. And I don't just mean our nine to five Monday through Friday job, uh, although that's a big part of it because that's a big part of our lives. But when I talk about our work, I'm talking about all of our work, everything that we do, the, the totality of our vocation, our labor, day in and day out, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And it is through that laboring that our calling is fulfilled. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 7.17, Paul says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. This is talking about the same thing, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Interestingly enough, the phrase to which God has called him in this verse is the Greek word kaleo, which uh, is where the biblical idea of our life vocation as a calling comes from. It comes out of this verse. And then Paul couples that word kaleo with the word assigned or merizo in the Greek, which means to apportion or bestow. So, so God bestows upon us a calling 
which is expressed through our work, our vocation, and that is what he created us for. Of course, there's a purpose for that vocation that is higher than simply our personal satisfaction, and we'll look at that in a moment. But the point here is that we were all created for a very specific purpose, and that purpose is realized through our labor, our work. Okay, In Genesis chapter 2, just after describing the creation of the Garden of Eden, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So just as God labored in his creation, so too is man expected to work. In fact, we were created to work. And remember, this is before the effects of sin on the earth, right? At least mankind's sin and the curse on the earth pronounced later by God. And yet there are people today who mistakenly associate work with our fallen world. And then consequently, they believe that all work will cease once we get to heaven. But that doesn't bear out in Scripture. In the newly created and perfected state of the earth in Genesis, man who was sinless at this point, right after being created, was put to work by God to work the land before the curse of sin, right? That was uh, much more, by the way, than just tilling the garden and spraying it with miracle grow. That's a joke. It didn't land, sorry. The phrase keep it in Genesis 2 in the verse we just read is the Hebrew word shamar. It means to oversee, um, to keep and protect, to have charge of, to tend uh, concerning the flocks and the herds, to guard, watch over, to preserve, right? The earth was a paradise at this point, and mankind was created to care for it, nurture it, and to work it and keep it. Clearly, God created us to work. But why? Why must we work? Because our work is the means by which our calling is expressed. Okay? When you're engaged in a vocation that is the work that you were created for, there are a few things as fulfilling and challenging and wonderful and sometimes trying and exciting and meaningful than waking up every day knowing that you're doing exactly what you were designed to do. There's an old saying that says, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I understand the point of that saying, but can you see how that expresses a negative connotation in our culture that is associated with the idea of work? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. As if not working or at least feeling like you're not working is the goal. And again, I understand the the point of it, but it would probably be better if we said, do what you love uh, and you'll love working for the rest of your life. Because on the flip side, there probably aren't many things in this life that feel worse than doing something that you were not called to do long term, especially over a lifetime. That can be quite miserable, I know, because I tried it. I'm certainly not alone. There are people who deny their vocational calling in their life and instead choose to work at something other than that which they were created for because they don't want to relinquish income and possessions because they know that answering that calling in their life will mean great sacrifice. And, and again, I get it because I did it for a long time. And of course, God is sovereign. Uh, he had his purposes even during that time when I had one foot in and one foot out of ministry and my calling. But the moment that I decided to pursue with great abandon the calling that God put inside of me from before my birth, that was a moment of almost indescribable joy and peace and excitement and fulfillment. It's, it's sort of like uh, putting on some really expensive shoes and wearing them all day long that are too small for your feet, 
right? They may, not, uh, they may look really cool and give a great impression to others about what kind of person you must be that you can afford these expensive, shiny new shoes, but you never feel quite comfortable in them. And so you can't really go all of the places and do all of the things that you would otherwise be able to do because they hurt your feet. And so you're really limited in where you're able to go and in what you're able to do. But when you finally take them off and you put on those old, uh, worn-out boots that you had custom-fitted years before, and they're the perfect size and fit, and you've had them for so long, and even though they're worn out and really unimpressive-looking, they fit you perfectly. And so they may not be impressive to anyone else, but when you slide them on, there's a sense of relief and comfort and freedom to go where you want to go and do whatever you need to do because they were made to be a perfect fit for you. Working outside of our calling is kind of like that. I'm not saying that everyone is called, by the way, to quit their jobs and go into full-time vocational church ministry or overseas missions work. Each, each calling is unique. And in truth, uh, you need to know this. There's no such thing as secular work. All work is sacred. Okay, it all belongs to God if you're working according to his word and according to his will. It's all ministry. It's all intended as a means by which we fulfill our calling. The key for each of us is to respond to his word and his voice in our lives and pursue that calling, whatever it is for you, with all of your strength and all of your talents and all of your resources and, and, and then work hard. Work really hard at what he's called you to do and he'll take care of your needs. He will. He'll provide for every single need. He'll make up in your life for everything that you've given up in order to pursue that work, that calling. And your house may be smaller than it could be. Your car may be a little older than it could be, but it won't matter because you will live with a sense of fulfillment that will far outweigh anything that you've given up. Okay? And just a final word then on this point, and then we'll move on. I want to encourage you that if you know that God has called you to some pursuit, some vocation, some ministry, and you're hesitant about answering that call, every day that you hesitate, is a day full of purpose and fulfillment that is lost. And I understand that God's timing is critical. It is. And we need to operate on His timetable, and we do. So I'm not talking about getting ahead of God here. But part of the reason that work for so many people is so draining and depressing and defeating is because they're not fulfilling their calling, what they were created to do. So if you know that He's calling you to some pursuit, and in total honesty with yourself, you know that you're putting it off, I just want to encourage you, don't wait another day. Because every day that you avoid that calling is a day that you're robbing from God and yourself and from the people who need you to be doing what you were created to do. Okay? Answer the call of God in your life. Answer that call with haste. That is sound advice from experience. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 14. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted 
In them birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. This is day three, part of day three, vegetation and trees. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. We'll come back to that one. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. Okay, so these verses encompass the events of day four as well, the creation story, uh, the ordering of day and night between the sun and the moon. There's also a clear statement in here about our provision in these verses. Not only what we receive from God, but how we receive everything that we need in this life to not only live, but to thrive. Okay, we, we see demonstrated in these verses that our provision is received through our work. That's point number two of our outline. Our provision is received through our work. We've already talked about the fact that we're created to work. That's how we fulfill and express our calling. But there's more that comes from our labor than just spiritual fulfillment, as important as that is. Our work is the primary means by which God provides for us materially as well, which means that even our work, our labor, is a gift from God. Despite what many believe, there's no such thing as a self-made man. We exist and prosper only by the sovereignty and grace of God. And so our provision, which includes our work, ultimately doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from the government, no matter what the government tells you. It doesn't come from our employer. Ultimately, it comes from God alone. James Mays wrote that the world always depends on the authority of God, and life in the world depends on the reign of God. A.W. Tozer, speaking about the goodness of God, he said, The recipients of his goodness are all his beneficiaries without merit and without recompense. And probably my favorite statement that I've read on this is by R.C. Sproul. He writes, God did not simply create the universe and then step out of the picture. God created all things and continues to sustain them. He didn't just bring the world into existence, but he continues to preserve it and maintain it. That's why there's still a world. If God stopped working for one instant, the whole universe would be annihilated because in him we live and move and have our being. That's from Acts 17, 28. Without God upholding the universe from moment to moment, nothing could continue to be. Okay? All good things in our lives, everything, including our work, they're given to us from God and sustained by God. Your job, whether you believe me or not, is a gift from God. And it is the primary means that he uses to provide for your daily needs. And intentionally, I say needs, not wants. Because I believe that sometimes... The reason that our work drains us so much is because we're trying to meet all of our wants instead of our needs. All right. Now, certainly God gives us the righteous desires of our hearts. He provides many, many wonderful blessings in our lives that are far beyond our basic needs. I know that firsthand. Why? Because he's a loving father and he loves to give good gifts to his children. James says in, in 117, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And of course, Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him, Matthew 7, 11. I'm sure that every one of you could stand up here this morning and testify to blessings in your lives 
that far exceed your basic needs. Those are all gifts from God. However, our culture has perpetuated the idea that we're entitled to every craving, every single thing that we could ever imaginably desire, whether we work for it or not, whether we need it or not. And so there are countless people who spend their lives chasing after every unhealthy, unnecessary excess, and they're miserable in their work because they can never work enough to satisfy the insatiable craving for more. And what inevitably happens is, rather than adjusting our own perspective on what we really need to thrive in this world, we begin to loathe our work. Because it can never provide enough. It can never give us everything that we want. And so we, we view our work as inadequate, as providing for us and stifling to the lifestyle that we yearn for. But the truth is, our work is a gift. It's a gift from God. And it is, in fact, most often how God provides for our needs. So when we ask him for things, he provides those things most often by giving us work to do so that we can receive the provision from him that we need through our work, okay? And so it's worth some thought, I think, the next time we pray and ask God for something, because often when we ask, he simply gives us work to do as a means of providing for that need and even that desire that we're asking him for. So we should always ask ourselves, and I'm learning to ask myself before I ask God, am I willing to do what's necessary to work for whatever it is that I'm wanting? Because once I ask, he may just send me more work to do. Right? If you look back in verse 21 that we just read, it says, The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. The lion's food comes from God. When's the last time you were watching National Geographic and you saw a lion laying over there in the shade in the tall grass, licking his leg, and a gazelle comes bounding over and flops down in front of the lion and offers himself up as a meal? It doesn't happen, does it? What happens? The lion has to get up and work for his food. He chases down his prey. He has to catch it and kill it and drag it back to his family to feed himself and them, right? The lions know that their provision comes from God, but they have to work for it. Verses 14 and 15, he says he gave plants for man, but it doesn't stop there. It says he gave plants for man to what? To cultivate that he, referring to the man, may bring forth food from the earth. But not just those basic needs. What else? Wine and oil and bread. In other words, God provided work for man to do so that through his work, his needs, and yes, even, even blessings beyond his basic needs would be met. Verse 15 says, God provides the blessings through man's work so that his heart would be gladdened and strengthened, that his face would shine, referring to things far beyond. That's referring to things far beyond our basic needs. My son Coleman recently bought a car, his first car, and, and his mom and I were ready for him to buy his first car <laughs> because mom was tired of being the taxi cab driver for him and his brother and all of the activities that they're involved in. And so Coleman went out and got a job nearly two years ago doing something that I can tell you is probably one of his least favorite things on this earth to do, washing dishes at a restaurant. But that's what was available. So he took the job and we would drive him back and forth. And every moment that kid isn't uh, taking school classes or studying, he's standing in a kitchen, in a hot, steamy kitchen, alone most of the time, 
washing dishes for hours on end. And he has squirreled away every penny of that money, put it away, put it away, put it away. And a couple of weeks ago, he went and paid cash for a car that's a lot nicer than what I drive. I'm very proud of my son for what he did. He's debt-free, but I want to tell you something. He knows good and well that that car he's driving is a gift from God. He knows it's a gift from God. But he also understands that the way that God provided that gift to him was through a whole lot of very hard work. That's God's design. Work is the primary means by which he provides for us. We were made to work. It's good for us. And when done properly and honestly, it produces a positive, useful result. Proverbs 21.25 says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs 10.4, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 14.23, In all toil there's profit, but mere talk tends, uh, leads only to uh, pro- poverty. And then, of course, uh, the great apostle Paul says, such, a, such an eloquent, a kind way of putting things sometimes. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he said, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It's pretty clear in Scripture that our provision comes through God, and it's clear that it comes through our work that he's given us. It, that work is as much a gift from God as the good things that we're able to obtain by that work, Okay. Let's finish our text for this morning then, and uh, we'll finish up this message from verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom. Have you made them all? The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. This is day five of the sea creatures. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. This is day six, the land animals and man and food for all of the creatures. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And so we're reminded again at the end of the psalm once again that this is first and foremost. It's a song of praise, but it also loudly proclaims to the listener who's paying attention that God is glorified through our work. God's glorified through our work, both his and ours. It's obvious here that he's glorified through his own work. That's a, really a subject uh, for another sermon for another day. But we also see here that as we are the fruit of his labor, that our labor in turn is meant to bring him glory. Verse 31 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, which of course includes us. And then verses 33 and 34 The psalmist follows up his wish for the Lord to rejoice in all of his creation by saying, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. In other words, may all that I say and do, everything that comes out of me, may it all bring glory to God. 
right? God created us to work. Our work is how we express our calling. It is how he provides for us. And in all of that, and from all of that, God is glorified. And so the only time that he's not glorified in our work, and consequently when our work begins to drain us and bring us down, is when we work for our own glory instead of his for our own advancement and recognition and position and power first instead of working to glorify Him first and receiving the blessings after. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That includes ourselves. and Our focus and all that we do, including our work, should always bring glory to God before anything else. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that it is very difficult, and some of you know this, to glorify God, although we can and, and still must do that, but it's difficult to glorify God in and through your work when you're miserable doing it. It's much harder because it sucks the life out of you. And by the way, that's usually not only clear to you when you're in that situation, but it's clear to everyone else around you as well. And so the key to glorifying God through our work is wrapped up in points one and two. When we realize that our creation, our calling, and our vocation are all linked intimately in that process, that who he created us to be should be expressed through our work. And again, it's not just a job you're doing. It's the very expression of your calling by God based on who he designed you to be from the beginning. And so if you're, if you're not fulfilling the calling of God in your life through your work, you have to determine if that can be done or not in your current situation the most effectively. If it can be, then it's a matter of being obedient in that work to do what he's called you to do, no matter the task, because there's always ministry available to us when we're doing what he's designed us to do, no matter where we are or what we're doing or who, we're, who we are with. But if not, if you find that your calling cannot truly be expressed fully, through your work, then it's time to do some real soul searching with the Lord because he may want to move you into a new direction. And that, that can and often does mean a lot of sacrifice to get there. And yet, I want to just mention here that we can and should still glorify God in our work even when we're not currently working in that area of our calling. That's important. God will move us into that in His timing as we're willing and obedient. And until that time, we still must do everything for His glory, even when it's not something that we enjoy doing or something that we feel called to do, okay? But ultimately, we should be working toward these two steps. Step one, making certain that we're doing what God has created and called us to do. Step two is then to recognize that that work that we have is a gift from Him intended to provide for us and others, and then treat it that way. Treat it that way rather than a necessary evil that we have to put up with while we're here on the earth so that we can obtain all of our cravings, right? In other words, we have to view work with the proper perspective. And when you take these two steps, we work according to our calling, we utilize that work to its fullest potential for Christ, it is then that he will be glorified in your work every day when we land that big account at work and when we, when we lose that big account. When we get that promotion and when we're passed up for that promotion. Uh, when you get the big Christmas bonus and when it doesn't come at all, still God can be glorified in and through our work, no matter the circumstances, because when we follow these steps, our hearts come into alignment with His and His will is then accomplished in us through our labor. Okay, so look, work can ruin us or it can propel us to great accomplishment. 
It can sap our energy and deflate our joy. Or it can fill us with excitement and fuel us to do great things for God. It all boils down to purpose and perspective. Purpose and perspective. Our purpose is to fulfill our calling and our perspective is to bring glory to God. And then work can be, become one of the greatest joys of your life. It's all about purpose and perspective. And as always, our best example is Jesus himself. After healing a, a lame man on the Sabbath and being questioned by the Jews as to why he would do such a thing on a day when he shouldn't be working, Jesus replied, My father is working until now, and I am working. I'm working. I'm working. Jesus was always working. In other words, as long as I'm doing the will of the Father, answering His calling in my life, and as long as I'm doing uh, what I'm doing is glorifying to Him, I will never stop working, even as He never stops working for us. Jesus is our example that we can find great fulfillment, even in our work, when we do it with the proper purpose and perspective. Okay, and I just want to close with this. Next to Jesus, when it comes to those who work tirelessly for others, selflessly making disciples on a daily basis, almost around the clock, in fact, quite literally around the clock often, we need not look any further than our own mothers. I've spent my entire life, as I'm sure many of you have, watching my mom, and in the past 18 years or so that I've had children watching my wife, selflessly give day in and day out, no matter how they feel, what else they'd rather be doing, what, uh, whether anyone sees them or not, pouring themselves out, literally, for other people. And most often, it's for people that take them for granted. Those little ones who are in constant need and don't really understand all that their mothers do for them. Sometimes even whiny husbands, like me, who are in constant need and don't always realize all that they do for us. And I, I see them give and give and give and give and give to the point that most of us would long have since given out. And they just keep on going. It is astounding to me to watch you moms work. I'm convinced that our mothers are one of the greatest examples of Jesus Christ that we have on this earth and one of the greatest gifts that he's given to this world. And so let's honor them today. Okay? Let's honor them. Even if we, we honor Jesus Christ, as we always do, as we pray, of course, but also as we leave here, let's take special care today to show mom uh, how much they mean to us how much we love them, and how much we appreciate them, okay? Let's pray.